Dissecting Dexter is brought to you by Audible.com. For your free audiobook download and free trial, go to www.audibletrial.com slash Dexter. Hi everyone, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you, as always, from the mobile studio deep in the heart of rural North Yorkshire, England, where it... Surprise, motherfucker! One, two... Three into the foe. Bay Harbor Butch and Deborah Mogan's at the dough. Ready to catch some killers, ain't been caught so far. But not a Deborah tries to crash my car. So give me the steering wheel first so I can bust like a bubble. Dexter and Deborah together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a deep thing, baby. Two locked out siblings going crazy. Miami Metro is the station that pays me. Unsavable, so please don't try to save him. But uh, back to the issue on deck. I was forced to kill a Gretchen, now my life has been a wreck. From your sister's perspective Vogel is a psycho, I should know I'm a detective You never know she could be choosing your decks You're losing your decks But, but at, at the same, same time she's using your decks Now you know but she says the police lieutenant Ain't no murder worth the risk to get caught while you're up in it yeah. And that's downer than downtown Julie Brown And who can tell as long as Vogel's around But if I'm in the mood and always acting really polite I take a small sip of some of those electrolytes It's like this or like that and like this, Santa It's like that and like this or like that, Anna It's like this or like that and like this Decks crawl up on the mic like a phantom Well I'm crawling, then I'm brawling, then I'm howling But I damn near got caught because my nanny kept calling Now it's time for me to let Harry's code be seen So lay back and plaster crap and let me cut your cheek You never hung out with a killer like this before Where I could spend time with my son and then kill Miguel Prado At the same time with the key lime pie I bake You know and I know that all of my emotions are fake my own blood's like collection, the selection symbolizes death. Take a breath, but don't step. If you do, you have no clue of what me and my homegirl Deborah came to do. It's like this and like that and like this, Santa. It's like that and like this and like that, Anna. It's like this, and who gives a fuck about those? So just cheer till the next episode. Do not attempt to adjust your radio's dial. This is Dissecting Dexter, but it's not the same Dissecting Dexter that you guys are familiar with. As you, if you couldn't tell already, this is uh, your boy Travis, listener Travis, coming at you again, filling in hosting duties for Gareth, who is, unfortunately for us, away, but fortunately for him, he is with his family, doing family stuff. He knew he couldn't, he wasn't going to be able to make this week, so he asked me to fill in. It's really unfortunate for all of us because we like Gareth so much and it is the final season of Dexter and as much fun as I have, I guess, when I do fill in for a hosting seat, I mean, I, it's hard work. I'd, I'd rather have Gareth do this than me, I suppose, and also, it is his show. I feel like for the final season, he should certainly take over all the duties, but I'm happy to do it for him and I uh, hope you guys are going to enjoy the show I have in store for you. Uh, it won't be the exact same. I don't. My notes aren't going to be as prepared as Gareth's are. I don't suspect I'm going to have half as much feedback as Gareth does. So perhaps the truncated version of the show might be what's best. I'm going to hope hope I can get this out to you guys before too long. But 
Uh, yeah. Welcome to Dissecting Dexter for episode four of season eight, Scar Tissue. Um, before I continue on, I suppose I'll do a little waffling, a little preamble to the podcast. It'll be painless, I promise. Um, so uh, I guess... I guess supposed to talk, you know, Gareth talks about what's going on with his life or whatever, his cat's missing or how the weather is. I mean, I'll tell you two things that I got going on this last week. First of all, I'm always getting sunburnt. I feel like every time I'm talking to you guys, I'm always talking about getting sunburnt. And yeah, man, I went to Disneyland yesterday. I'm fortunate enough to live in Southern California in proximity to Disneyland. And I don't go very often. Uh, I know some people are really Disney files and I don't. I don't go very often. Last time I went was in January, which seems pretty soon. But then before January, I hadn't gone for like two years. Um, I, I guess some people who live super far away, even two years sounds a lot uh, very recent to go to Disneyland. But point is, I went to Disneyland yesterday. Man, I'm getting sunburned. And I just hate getting sunburned. It's, I mean, there's, the two things that suck about the sunburn are how they feel. They kind of hurt or sting. And how they uh, how they look, and this summer doesn't hurt that bad, I guess. Uh, but it just looks bad, and I feel I feel like that's worse. I'd rather be in more pain than the looks, because there's some about I don't know if any fair skinned listeners or fair fairer skinned listeners, you know, get a lot of sunburns and stuff. Because you know, I go outside in the morning and it's got I got a nice breeze in the air, and I feel like ah, I'm not gonna need no sunscreen. And besides sunscreen, you know, you get your hands all oily, even in the spray on stuff, the the stuff you buy at the stores that tells you. Oh, you, you know, you shake the can and you spray it. Even that, you get your hands oily because they don't want you to spray it on your face. You're supposed to spray it into your hands and then onto your face. Then what's the point of spraying? The whole point is to save my hands from the oiliness of this sunscreen. But I didn't put on sunscreen, and then sure enough, boy, you better believe, around noon, starting feeling that sting on the back of my neck, feeling the heat. I go on that Mark Twain riverboat, and they got the, they got mirrors on there, and I can see the back of my neck is looking red as hell. Ooh, brother. And then by night, I see my my the back of my hands and my arms are red. Oh, there's just something about sunburns that just looks like, it just makes me look like white trash or something. Like, it's awful, you know? Ugh, sunburns are the worst. There's a scene in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly where Clint Eastwood's character is being, like, dragged through the desert for all day, hours and hours. And his skin gets all peely and crispy and nasty. And I'd rather look like that. At least that makes me, it'd make me look like I have character. Like, oh, he's cool. This dude's seen things. But when it's, your skin's just red, you know, and it, certainly it's just on the back of your neck. I mean, you look, like I said, like trashy. I mean, obviously they got people called rednecks. I don't know if maybe that's, uh, they're called rednecks because they got sunburns on the back of their necks. Maybe that's it, right? That's got to be it. Um, and that's how I feel right now. Ugh, sunburns are the worst. But apart from getting sunburned like a dummy yesterday, uh, this last weekend I was actually a part of a wedding, which was, you know, a great honor. My friend Ryan got married to his now wife, Hillary, and I was best man, believe it or not. I could hardly believe it. Some of you might not believe it, uh, thinking about the dumb things I say on here sometimes. But yeah, I got, I was uh, in the ceremony and everything. It was great. My duties as best man were extremely extraneous. They weren't tough. Uh, basically it's throw a bachelor party and give a best man speech. The bachelor party was pleasant enough to, to work out. I think everybody had a great time. The venue I, I chose was more than accommodating and everyone was super nice. And it was great. It was a great experience. And then I had to make the best man speech at the reception. 
which was a little nerve wracking. I, you know, I want it to be funny, but you want it to be heartfelt. You don't want to seem completely disingenuous. And I think I did a good job. I got a lot of comments on the speech, which of course is polite for everyone to say, but they even kind of convinced me that it was a good speech. I, I had a lot of jokes, you know, I tried to keep it a little edgy, keep it exciting, but without being too offensive. I didn't really care about children in the audience so much as like grandma and grandpa and I don't know. I mean, maybe I shouldn't even have cared about that, but I wanted to keep it wedding appropriate, I guess. I couldn't make jokes about Ryan having a little dick or anything like that, but I think I, I think I did well and I think everybody had a good time and it was fun. I don't know what else to say, but that's what's going on with me, but y'all don't really care what's going on with me, do you? We're going to get jump right into scar tissue this episode of Dexter. Uh, let's see. Uh, I have it written down here somewhere. Written by Tim Schlattman and Stefan Schwartz directed it. So let's just hop right in, figure out what the heck's going on. Let's dissect this bitch. So the episode opens up with uh, seemingly the penultimate scene from season seven, or at least like a recreation of it. It's Deb in the shipping container with Dexter and the Guerta and the the dead Hestrada there. And the difference here this time, of course, is when it's time for Deb to shoot the Guerta to save her brother, I suppose, in some way, uh, she shoots Dexter instead. And I actually kind of liked that. I mean, not the fact that we saw Dexter get shot, but I actually liked the way he died. It seemed kind of violent. I don't know. There was something about the way he just kind of like banged up against the wall and like just hunched over. I actually thought that was kind of really cool. Uh, I don't know. I guess I didn't suspect the show to be super melodramatic. I wouldn't expect him to fly out like, or make, you know, noises or anything. But it did kind of put a smile on my face because it reminded me of the last time we saw Dexter die. The last time we saw Dexter die, which is uh, die in, in quotes, of course, because remember in season two when Dexter is fantasizing or dreaming about, well, what if I tell Deb I'm the Bay Harbor Butcher? And uh, one of those scenarios is Deb shooting Dexter right in the face. And I thought that was funny because obviously that scene is funny and it was played for humor, but also for a long time, even probably up until now, you can type in on YouTube. And you can see videos that say, like, oh, Dexter spoilers. Like, whatever the current season is, people will upload videos say, like, Dexter season 5 finale spoilers. Dexter dies. And they'll just play that little clip. And there's inevitably people who aren't as versed in the show that they'll watch it. And they'll be like, what the fuck? How the hell? Where'd you get this? You know, they get tricked by it. And it's kind of funny. And I could see something like that happening with this clip. I guess since we're so near the actual end of the show finding out whether Dexter actually dies or not. Maybe it won't be as, as effective, but it's still a good clip seeing that happen. But uh, the whole point of that scene of Deb fantasizing that is that she wishes that she had shot Dexter instead of the Guerta that night at the shipping container. Vogel insists that it doesn't matter who she shot because, I mean, she would be feeling bad no matter what. And that, of course, she saved a life instead of... You know, she should focus on saving a life instead of taking one away. But Vogel calls it an early day, and they leave the shipping container. The next time we see them, though, Vogel has something else up her sleeve. Vogel shows Deborah some tapes of Harry, 
far, you know, like the same tapes that we've seen Dexter watching. Vogel shows those to to Deb uh, about Harry's segments, or I'm sorry, his uh, sessions with Vogel creating the code for Dexter and stuff. Uh, and it's it's interesting to see how differently Harry act, you know, is acting in real life in his latter days than you know how Dexter actually imagines him. Obviously, Harry's kind of freaking out. He's unsure of himself. There's a tape he sees later that we'll see later that he's super unsure of himself. But right now, he's kind of freaking out about the fact that like Dexter's becoming an adult. He might not be able to stop him from killing. At this point in the Dexter timeline in the video, Dexter hadn't killed yet. But Dexter was planning on killing someone, and Harry was saying, I'm like, bro, don't do it. Bro, son, son, don't do this. Uh, you can't. Because this, whoever this dude was was too high profile. So, uh, I mean, it was interesting to see Deb. That's the first time Deb really saw Harry be that hands-on with Dexter. And, or I'm, yeah, I guess hands-on with the code and whatnot. And Deb's kind of seeing that her and her father aren't entirely unalike. And the fact that they're both harbored, harboring Dexter, uh, even facilitating his bloodlust in a way. Like father, like daughter, I suppose. But that that that's something interesting that Deb was thinking of, and she even wanted to keep the the DVD so she could watch it again. And she knows Vogel's got a bunch left in her house, so who knows if maybe that's going to come into play later. Vogel and Deb return to the container that we'd seen them in, in earlier in the episode, and they kind of have another session. This time, Vogel shuts the door and kind of really forces Deb to confront what she's feeling about everything. And uh, it's a really powerful scene, I guess. Uh, for my taste, it's a little quick how Deborah snaps out of it. I know there were a lot of people kind of complaining, like, Deb needs to snap out of it. This is enough. I wasn't one of those people, but I guess their complaints are just as valid. I wasn't exactly sick of Deborah yet, but it, she seemingly kind of snaps out of it in a way, or whatever Vogel says definitely gets through to her. She was on her knees where those bloodstains are, isn't that right? She was your co-worker, your friend. Why didn't you just stay at the party and let Dexter take care of everything? I had to stop him. But Dexter can't help what he is. He has no conscience, unlike you. You knew the moment you pointed that gun at La Guerta, it was wrong. And still, you pulled the trigger. You shot a woman in cold blood. You let her bleed out and did nothing. You shot an innocent woman. For simply doing her job. Because of Dexter. And that's what terrifies you the most. You so desperately want to believe that if you had just shot Dexter, then you wouldn't have to face the hard truth that if you had to do it all over again, you'd still choose him. Because in your heart, you know you'll always choose Dexter. Something inside of Deb just, I don't know, clicks, I guess, with what Vogel's saying. And she asks Vogel, you know, how do I make this right? And Vogel just says, you know, accept that you're a good person, that you do good things, which is basically what uh, Dexter had said to her last week when they were out at dinner. Of course, these things are all easier said than done. It's just saying like, oh, I accept this or whatever is one thing, but actually being able to do it. I mean, it's, a, it's in human nature to worry about things, to dwell on things, have regrets and stuff. Certainly with something like this, I, I mean, I can't really even speak because I don't have any experience with murdering people. But something you think it works, because the next time we see Deb, she straightened her hair. And that's how you know Deb's got it going on. When, when her hair is straight, not all wavy or curly and whatnot, man, 
Look, she's obviously back. She looks like she's back to herself because we see her hanging out at her job doing her her business, I guess. And she's all on the ground doing what she her police work or like she used to do her police work. Shit's all on the ground. And Elway just kind of strangely invites himself to hang out with her. I don't know. This brings up Elway to me. I don't know what it is about that guy. The dude's a creeper or something, right? Like he's not. He's just like normal. And the fact that he's normal is a creeper. Like he just. I mean, he's kind of like slides in, like, "Hey, what's up? Oh, you're working? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang out with you too, and I'm hungry, so I'm gonna make us eat dinner." And I don't know. I mean, there were no electrolytes in this episode, so we could thank the maker for that. But I don't, I don't know. Is anybody else feeling that way, or does anybody love this dude? I'm not sure if they're gonna hook up or not, because I'm still thinking Quinn and Deb are gonna hook up. I'm not sure Qu- Deb needs to be hooking up with anybody anymore. I don't know. No one needs to be hooking up with anybody, I guess, but. It's strange, but Elway and, and Deb do hang out, and they kind of bond over their dead fathers being assholes, I guess, but they still love them any dang way. This this does kind of remind me, though, or make me think, now that Deb is all cool and whatnot, uh, it's strange that Deb is like a grown woman and just voluntarily living with Vogel. Like, we're not really seeing her fighting, like fighting it, and she's using Vogel's exercise equipment and stuff. Like, this is strange, right? She's just like, volu- I I know this is a crazy, crazy situation, but it doesn't, she seems like just totally cool with just living with some strange woman she's never met and just being told how to live her life. And I don't know. It's it's weird when you really think about it. But, but all right, so Deb's looking good. Or is she? Because the next time we see her, she's, she's chilling. She's chilling, trying to read a book, but then she's got that itch. She wants to find out more about Harry, so she goes snooping around through Vogel's private things. Because, again, she's just living in Vogel's house, I guess. Uh, she finds a tape of Harry, like, the, I guess the last tape Harry did with Vogel, uh, talking about when Dexter killed Juan Rines, the guy that Harry walked in on Dexter killing, and Harry is not feeling it. He's having the ultimate regrets and everything. Yeah, I mean, you all know what happens. Even in the videotape, Harry says, I can't live with this, and he and he walks away. Uh, Deb, Deb's kind of shaking like that, because obviously she she should be thinking, oh, dang, if, if Harry couldn't live with it, how am I supposed to live with it? And if you couldn't figure that out on your own, don't worry, the show spells it out for you when they have Deb go, the fuck am I supposed to do now? And you could tell they did that, like, in post. Like, they added that line in later. But there's something interesting that this brings up uh, regarding the Dexter timeline. Uh, the show has never super really been good with keeping a timeline. I always, you know, in my own personal recollection of the series, I always try to just base everything off of season one, like the, you know, the original season, the er season, as you could say. And um, the Deb finds the tape, the tape that she finds that has that Harry had written on or whatever. Uh, or I'm sorry that that Vogel Vogel wrote the date from this session that she watched just watched as September 5th 1991. Uh, this is a little strange because I've brought up things like this before, but the the timeline should be Harry di- was supposed to have died in 1996 according to season one. They say a few times, oh Harry's been dead for a decade. Harry's been dead for ten years. That was back in 2006. The fact that he died in 1991 is a little strange. That's a whole five years before 1996. And not only that, in more timeline confusion, in season six, 
Dexter has his high school reunion, which was he was supposedly the class of 1991. So am I supposed to believe Dexter hadn't even graduated high school yet when Harry killed himself? I thought we were led to believe that Dexter had was in college or even perhaps graduated college by the time Harry had killed himself. I mean, so there's some confusion there. And even that's never minding the fact that in season one, Dexter was supposed to be born in 1970. And now that would make him 21 years old when he graduated high school, which I don't know. I guess that's not unheard of. It's certainly really strange, but it's, it raises a red flag to me. Like 21 year old graduating high school. Don't they just go to like night school after that or something like that? I don't know. In California, there's like no child left behind and, I don't know, it's all kinds of weird things. I don't know if they have that in Florida, or if the writers are even aware of that, but there's more timeline stuff I'll talk about later when there's a calendar that we see with the year 2012 on it. So what's Deb's reaction to all this madness? Uh, Well, she goes to the police station to go see Dexter, and I mean, hey, Jennifer Carpenter's a beautiful-looking woman. You see her walking in, they got her all lit up, like, damn! The D is for Damn! She's a, I don't know, she's a good, she's a great looking woman. I think everyone agrees. Fantastic actress. Uh, probably the highlight of the series. I know Gareth loves talking about that girl. Michael C. Hall's good, but you know, he doesn't get a lot of chance to show range and stuff in his character, but Jennifer Carpenter's got, got it going on, you know, but we see her, that's besides the point. We see her, she goes to the uh, police station to go see Dexter and I don't know, maybe reconcile. Hey, wouldn't that be great? But she has a little moment with Quinn, just a tiny moment before before she goes off and she tells Quinn, like, I want you to be happy and, you know, you're doing the right thing and, you know, it's all sweet. They're kind of, hey, things are getting back to normal. That's great. She sees Dex and she's like, yo, Dex, we got to talk about something. Do you want to go for a drive? Of course, Dex, he's all like, yeah, hell yeah, I do. I want to reconcile with my sister. I love her. So, yeah, they go for a drive. And suddenly, maybe people started realizing, wait, that last moment with Quinn, that was a little too much like a goodbye. What's going on here? And, you know, Deb and Dex are kind of talking it out, and Deb does the unthinkable and crashes their car into a lake. Now, I admit, that totally surprised me, too. I wasn't expecting that. Certainly the way, because she was kind of, like, whispering, talking the whole time, like, oh, yeah, Dad did this and that. And then when she goes and turns the um, the wheel, it's just like, oh, but he got a half right. Like, she, whatever she says is, like, really loud and really jarring. Like, what the fuck? You know, she crashes the car into the lake, and they both pass out. Uh, she's saved by some good Samaritan fishing nearby. She goes in and decides to save Dexter, echoing what Vogel had said, that she will always choose Dexter no matter what happens. And I guess that's sweet. She comes out, her and Dexter come out, like, if you ever saw the movie Freddy vs. Jason, uh, at the end, like, uh, Jason Voorhees comes out. Or maybe that's in, like just any Friday the 13th movie, and someone's drowning, and Jason's just like, ah, gotcha, bitch, boom, like, you know, pulls her back in the water. It looked like that, like, uh, Deb and Dexter coming out of the water, rising triumphant. But, uh, I mean, no, that really is a shocking scene, and I can't take anything away. Like, it was crazy that that happened. I wasn't expecting that. It certainly says a lot, you know, about Deb's state of mind. And then also it's sweet or, I don't know, something that she went back and changed her mind. But just my two kind of, like, thoughts, my I guess, like, nitpicks about the scene is, like, how goddamn fast was Dexter driving at the time? Like, did you see the way that car jumped off the road? And, like, just crash-landed. Like, how fast were they going for them to get both knocked out? I mean, it was filmed really weird. Because I know that the show's on a budget. They can't go crashing cars into water and stuff like that. So you know that it was a stunt driver. And, 
and all that. Because then, like, you didn't even see them get knocked out. It was just, like, the car was in the water, and suddenly they were both passed out. And you kind of – it wasn't hard to do, but you did kind of have to put it together in your head, like, oh, wait, they hit their heads or something. But I don't know if they'd both be passed out. And wouldn't the airbags go off if they collided with the water? Because, I mean, when you hit water – Water's water, of course, liquid, but like when you hit it hard enough like that, it's kind of like a solid act, right? I know people who like jump off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco don't normally, well, they drown, but they don't, they like break their legs and an entire body before they, they die though, because they're just hitting, that's like hitting cement. But, uh, so I mean, I thought that it was a little corny the way that was, they just, it was like a stunt the way they flew off the road and whatnot, but. Uh, then the, the last thing is just that that Fisher dude who saves Deb, I don't blame him at all for saving Deb over Dexter. It, you know, I don't know, you you know, women and children first, I guess. So that's not, that's totally cool. I'm, I'm not like saying like, why didn't you save Dexter? But he just straight up disappears. The writers are, I'm not, I'm sorry, not the writers, director, the actors, whoever, they didn't give an F about that dude. You see, go watch it again. He brings Deb to shore and he's kind of out of breath himself, like, oh God, oh God. And then every other shot after that, he's just not on the beach. It's like he sprinted off somewhere. He didn't even go in the water. It's just like, did they not even remember to have the actor stand by? But see, not, see, I ended that this little Deb segment on a bad note. I didn't mean to. It's all right. Next week's going to be crazy, I'm sure. Whatever. Is Dexter going to be understanding of Deb? Is he going to be pissed? I don't know. This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. That helps me control the chaos. Now onto the rest of the episode, the brain surgeon story really has kind of taken a backseat to the Dexter and Deborah dilemma that has come up in this episode. This is not to say that there wasn't development in this department, and I'm certainly not saying it's uninteresting. But I really think that Dexter and Deborah's problems, I suppose mainly Deborah's, are really kind of shining, shining through as far as this episode is concerned. But in this episode, we do have Dexter. He's making a list, checking it twice, going down that list of potential brain surgeon suspects for Vogel. Vogel will not let Dexter see Deborah, and that kind of upsets him. The only thing he can do is look for the brain surgeon. So he finds a guy by the name of A.J. Yates, and two things stand out about A.J. Yates. The first thing is that dude loves the smooth, delicious taste of Pepsi. You see when he was drinking that refreshing drink, the voice of a generation just down his throat. Yum, yum, yum. Nice, fat, thick logo right there for you to see. That's like every time Dexter drives his car, you see the Ford logo, or he's on his computer, you see the Mac logo. It's all about that product placement. For a long time, uh, Jose Cuervo tequila or something? I'm not sure what Jose Cuervo is. Uh, Jose Cuervo was like a big time sponsor every time Batista went somewhere he like, yo give me that Cuervo Black or Cuervo Silver or something but that's besides the point that's not the most interesting thing about AJ Yates the most interesting thing about him is of course he has the slice the little scar in the back of his head that very, resembles very much the cut that the brain surgeon would make when he scoops out the brain of his victims this of course intrigues Dexter he goes and confronts uh, Vogel about it and she says like yeah well, you know what when I was treating him I kind of forced him to have brain surgery and this kind of set up a flag in my head why the hell when you're afraid some killer is going to scoop out your brains and you don't know who he is why aren't, Why isn't the first person you tell Dexter about the one that you forced to get brain surgery when he was a child how did that not come up this didn't seem to set up a flag with Dexter I'm not entirely sure there's anything nefarious about it other than an oversight by the powers that be, I suppose. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that will set up a flag. I don't know. But I thought that was kind of weird. And it's also weird that Dexter is, like, allowing Deborah to stay with Vogel in her place when we know that the brain surgeon is kind of stalking Vogel. He, she certainly knows where she is and when she's alone. Are we not afraid Deborah is going to become a victim of the brain surgeon? You would think at least maybe Vogel would move in with Deborah somewhere unfamiliar to the surgeon, but that's that's just the way it is. All right, enough singing. I don't know what's going on there, but I do know, I do know one thing. You guys ever notice when Michael C. Hall like when he's playing Dexter and he gets upset, he just kind of like does that nasally acting thing where he like. He, like, breathes in. He takes, like, a deep breath with his nostrils and kind of, like, nods his head. Like, I don't know. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I just did it. But he does it all the time, you know, when, he, like, Dexter's upset or something. It's like the Michael C. Hall school of brooding. And you just kind of, like, you kind of nod your head and breathe in. And then maybe occasionally you'll kind of, like, press your thumb up against, like, in between your eyes and act really stressed out. I don't know. He does that. He did that a lot in this episode. He does that a lot. I don't I'm, I certainly couldn't act any better. So the dude's a... He's a genius, so let him live and let brood. Dexter finally goes in and investigates Yates' house, and he finds something very weird. It's a whole collection of, like, single shoes from, from women, potential victims of the brain surgeon, if Yates is to be the brain surgeon. Dexter uh, does for prints, and then something happens that kind of... Uh, I don't like when the show does stuff like this. Like, I guess I call it, like, selective stupidity or something, where we find out that Yates is about to get the drop on Dexter, about to tase him. And that's when Dexter just happens to call Vogel and put her on speakerphone so everyone could hear. And I feel like he didn't need to call her right then. He could have waited till he got in the car. He didn't even need to put her on speakerphone. It's not like his hands were full of valuable evidence. He couldn't sit down or anything. And it was a little strange, but you know, we, the whole reason we know they did it is so that Yates could hear that Dexter is in, in cahoots with Vogel and in Yates' own words, Vogel has found herself a hero. So I don't know. I mean, it's something... Dexter has never done in the past, just called someone on speakerphone. I've never seen that dude use a speakerphone, but Yates knows that Dexter's onto him and that Vogel is with him. This brings up something interesting. Uh, also, I think Dexter saw the 2012 calendar in Yates's house, and I know some people have thought that was a blunder or maybe it meant something like, oh, Yates is a year behind or something. Uh, I, I kind of thought something similar, but I believe in the Dexter timeline, it should all add up. If season six was to be taking place in present day. That was 2011. And we know season seven took place immediately after that. And then it ended on New Year's Eve. I don't think it's hard to believe the New Year's Eve it ended on was the new year between 2011 and 2012. Six months after that would be about June or July of 2012. So, I mean, I think it works out. At first, I was ready to have something bad to say about it. But now I've, yeah, I've reconsidered. I think, you know, it works out for the timeline. So I don't really have a problem there. Dexter also meets in this episode his new neighbor, Casey, or Cassie, one of those two. And uh, how fortunate for Dexter. He's a good-looking guy on TV, and she's a good-looking woman on TV. I mean, there's no other option for them but to hook up, right? Well, you'd think so. I don't, considering the circumstances Dexter's under in this season, perhaps he won't have time for that. But hey, I probably would have said the same thing last season, so who knows? She certainly sprung on Dexter in the whole eight seconds that she spent looking at him. He, I don't, I'm not sure he'll fall in love with her, but I, I wouldn't put it past him to fall into bed with her. But we do know that Hannah McKay is still out there somewhere. Whether or not she'll return, 
I'm expecting maybe this story's getting set up for her in case she does return. Maybe she'll try to seek Ravenga on Dexter and her his new neighbor will get caught in the crosshair somehow. But it's probably not good news for, for her to get involved with Dexter anyway, regardless of any crazy exes that are still lurking out there. Dexter returns to uh, Yates' house and finds it pretty much abandoned. Well, that is, except with the caveat of Yates took all of his shit with him, but decidedly didn't take any of his murder tools or his unprotected laptop that he just left out for anyone to find. I have the thought crossed my mind that maybe he left that out for Dexter to find. And I guess I can't argue against that. There are certainly more direct ways he could have contacted Dexter to let him know the truth about Vogel. But we know that serial killers on this series do have a taste for the theatrics. So I'll, I'll allow him this, this one thing. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty much Dexter's concluding that Yates is the, the brain surgeon based on everything he sees. He's, you know, he's finding like diagrams of cutting brains open and different bone saws and tools and stuff. He even finds a live woman left for dead. Very scary. Dexter takes her to the, to the operating room, you know, to the hospital, I should say, and brings Vogel back. But, uh oh, this is where, this is where trouble comes to paradise. Dexter finds that AJ has somehow got all of Vogel's private computer notes and stuff and found that Vogel has been keeping records on Dexter his, her time that she's been spending with Dexter and writing about him and the stuff that, that they've been saying together and how she doesn't really think Dexter has feelings for Deborah despite him saying otherwise needless to say Dexter is not happy about this I'm nothing but a lab rat just like Yates that's not true know that is that why you want to keep me apart from Deb it's another way to isolate your subject. See what it'll do. Next Don't. When Yates is dead, you are out of my life. It's over. You understand? Or do you need to write it down? I understand. Dexter and Vogel are officially over. Splitsville. At least that's what Dexter thinks. I'm not so convinced myself. We're only four episodes in, after all. She's going to be sticking around somehow. Uh, unless the season throws us a real curveball and like resolves her storyline and the brain surgeon somehow. I don't know. You know, in season seven, they did finish the, the Isaac storyline, I think, in episode eight or nine or something, right? With a good amount of time left to do something else. So I mean, they could do something like that. But I, I'm, I'm sure Dexter's going to have some reason to be with Vogel in the future. And do we think that Vogel was really manipulating Dexter this much just to write about him in a book? I'm not so sure. I know that she's really sinister-ish. I don't know if we can trust her, but there's something that I don't really believe she was exploiting Dexter like that. I think she actually kind of cares for Dexter in her own weird, psychopathic way. What do you guys think? I'm not so sure. But when Dexter finally gets the chance to ambush Yates, he gets a little too fancy for his own good. And this is and another example of kind of what I was talking about earlier with the selective stupidity uh, that happens sometime in order to, to service the plot of the series. So, I mean, Dexter's plan looks cool, I guess. He tricked Yates into coming alone to the nursing home where his father is being held at. But what was Dexter's plan exactly? It's the middle of the day in a nursing home staffed full of nurses and elderly people or sick people, whoever. And was Dexter, what, going to drug him and then drag him out the building through the front door with everyone there? Uh, how did, was he so sure that Yates wasn't going to bring in a bunch of nurses with him when he came rushing in to look after his dad? 
And why did Dexter close the door all the way and decide to monologue before he M99'd him like Dexter's never done before? Uh, you know, what, did he not expect resistance when he started talking to Yates? Did, was Yates supposed to simply roll over and allow Dexter to sedate him? I'm not so sure. Of course, it all led to a really cool moment where Yates, you know, kind of attempted to kill his dad in order to save himself, which thematically fit in with the episode of Dexter realizing, uh, you know, I would never do that to Deb, whatever. You know, Deb's more than just a prop to me. I, I mean, I admit that was actually really kind of cool and pretty smart of the guy. But Dexter's already had this revelation. In, in season four, when he was killing Zoe Kruger, he realized that he would rather have his family find out he was a killer than use them that way. Or in season six, when he was killing the Tooth Fairy, he had a similar revelation of just about his family, you know, truly meaning something to him and not being just props. I mean, we've seen Dexter do this before. And when he does these stupid things, like bung bungles up stalking the guy and stalking and killing him and whatnot, just in order to have a really cool, like, water water cooler moment that people could talk about later. When when all that's done just to have one of those moments, I mean, doesn't it kind of make those moments not as special? Do we really want to sacrifice character in order for a big plot and stuff? This is the Dissecting Dexter podcast. It doesn't matter what I do. Born in blood. Both of us. As far as the rest of the episode is concerned, fortunately, there's not a whole lot to report. Uh, Quinn passes his sergeant's exam somehow, and then he gets into a bar fight defending Deb's honor when someone was telling, talking about Deb being drunk and whatnot. Uh, him and Jamie have another arguably strange sex scene. And we also got a name for the new lady detective. Did I mention this already? I don't remember. Uh, Angie Miller is the name of that new lady detective that's been around since last season. And Matthews wants her to be sergeant. She scored better than Quinn did on the sergeant's exam. But for whatever reason, Batista really wants Quinn to be sergeant. And I'm really having a hard time trying to figure out what Batista sees in Quinn exactly. I mean, I've been t I'm told you, I've been warming up to Quinn myself, actually. And I think other people have too. But he really does nothing but fuck up. And he doesn't even seem to want to get promoted. Why is Batista trying so hard to, to not have let Angie Miller have this promotion? I'm not sure. Quinn does a lot of shitty things. But, hey, I, the boy's been on since season three. I guess he needs his turn in the sun. Something I think a lot of people are going to be talking about is the revelation that Masuka has this long-lost daughter. Uh, she's actually a lot older than I would have thought she would be. If I was going to give Masuka a daughter, I, I wouldn't immediately think to make her that old. But I guess it really works out for the series. There was kind of the funny moment where Masuka thought he was going to get laid, but, you know, she drops that bombshell on him. I know a lot of people thought this was funny, maybe a highlight of the of the episode, and I'm sure it's, there's going to be a continuing arc for Masuka going forward. I hate to be a Grinch, but I actually thought it was a little corny. I don't know. I just have a hard time taking Masuka seriously anymore. Like, I'm not even sure he's like a human being. He is just kind of like the comic relief, but it's so the tone is so different from the rest of the series. It's really jarring for me. Like she's talking to him, and he's just like, "Oh, wait, you're my daughter, but you have curly hair." But you have curly hair, as if somehow he forgets that how biology works and that the mother of the child surely donated half of her genes to this child as well. Like, Masuka, you're a scientist. Come on, bro. I learned the Punnett Square when I was in seventh grade. And, you know, the last thing he says to her before they share the the laugh together, which I'm sure a lot of people liked. I won't, I won't, I won't hate you for that, but he says something like, oh, you have my soulful yet haunting eyes or haunted eyes or something like 
Oh, come on, man. Who talks like this? The whole, the rest of the series is, or season episode is so different from this. Uh, it's I'm not in love with it, but it, there's a lot of Masuka fans out there, so they're going to be really happy about this. And lastly, one last thing I didn't mention when I was doing the Deborah wrap-up part. Uh, in the in the video that Deborah watches of Harry and Vogel right before Harry decides to commit suicide, Vogel tries to tell Harry, like, oh, well, this drug dealer deserved to die because he killed your partner. That's something really interesting because I remember in season two when this was going on, Harry never mentioned his partner getting killed. The reason Juan Rainez was... A, a victim for Dexter's because he was killing his own prostitutes and stuff. And the reason that the law couldn't get him is because of some faulty search warrant. You remember Matthews came over on Deborah's birthday and Harry threw his whiskey against the wall and stuff like that. Uh, I this is, I don't know if this is a bit of retconning or whatever, but I, the last time I remember Harry's partner getting killed, uh, talked about getting killed, was in season one, uh, in one of like season episode three or four or whatever. When uh, young Dexter gets picked up from soccer practice in the rain and Harry's like, oh, my partner got killed. And maybe this was even episode two, because I think this is the episode where Dexter decides not to kill Guerrero when he had the chance to, because Harry taught him like, oh, the world doesn't need you to balance its books. Just follow your own code and whatnot. So that's interesting. And with all that waffling and super duper long nonsense, let's get back to the feedback. Oh gosh, this is embarrassing. Uh, last time I did the show in Gareth's absence, I didn't have a whole lot of feedback to read off because there was problems with Gareth trying to forward me stuff where he was, but this time we had thought ahead. We set up like an email forwarding thing where I was going to get all the emails that he got or if anybody sent voicemails to the email address, I'd be able to get them. But I can't say what happened, but something's gone on. I Unfortunately, and you, I honestly stress it's unfortunate for me to not have feedback to to read back because I feel like when the show is just me dicking around, it's like stroking my ego. No one wants to hear from me for this long. But uh, I don't know what happened. I, I've tested it out. I sent a few emails trying to get the forward to work, and it's not working. So if you guys are sending feedback to Gareth, he will get it. I don't know what the deal is. I'm really bummed out. But I do have a few... I could pick things off of the Facebook, and I did have one person message me directly, fortunately. to have some... Something that's not just my voice, or what I mean, the voice of my thoughts. It will be my voice, but uh, not just my opinions going out there. So I, I'm going to read off some of the stuff that I that I caught off of the Facebook page. Jacob Newman on the Facebook page wrote, I'd like to throw something out there which I think will provoke discussion. What I'm starting to wonder about is, whatever happened to the jewels? He writes in all caps. Uh, whoever killed El Sapo, and I don't think it was Deb, killed him for the jewels. El Sapo was watching and following Deb, but who was watching and following El Sapo? I think that this will be a shocker in a future episode. In response to that, Deanna Johnston Chu, Chow, Chow Deanna John, I don't, you got a crazy, you got, your name's got too many variables, it's too controversial. I'm gonna call you DJ Chow. DJ Chow writes, I like the uh, I like that idea, but I have a feeling that El Sapo storyline is over. It served its purpose, having Deb take a darker step by killing in anger. It certainly is a loose end. Where are the jewels? Maybe it was a question the writers forgot to ask themselves. I think uh, both you guys are talking about interesting things. The fact that Deb doesn't remember exactly killing El Sapo, I mean, that could certainly come back. And uh, I think Deanna is right, or Jacob brought it up too, I suppose. The fact that, I mean, these jewels were... El Sapo was supposed to get these jewels back. That's why he 
attacked in the first place. If if whoever hired him didn't get those jewels, aren't don't they still want them? Uh, maybe Dev will be in trouble in the future. I don't know. I, I forgot about El Sapo myself. Maybe the writers did, or maybe that's what they want us to do. Uh, it's very intriguing. Marco Felici writes something interesting that uh, is about a character that not a lot of people are talking about. He writes, I'm getting more and more suspicious of Elway. Is he the brain surgeon and maybe join the police to learn their methods? Some kind of anti-Dexter? Why else would they cast such a familiar face for any relevant role? The fact that the brain surgeon wasn't shown on the video in episode 2 leads to the conclusion that it's someone we know from the show. Otherwise, they could have just shown his face. My suspicion that Vogel had something to do with Harry's death grow... It grew last episode. And yeah, the, the two points you have. Firstly, about Elway. I'm wondering what the heck's going on with that dude, too. He is just kind of bland. I don't know. He kind of just shows up and... I don't really find him all that likable. I mean, he just kind of like presses himself on Dexter. I mean, I'm sorry. Deborah f- invites himself to hang with her and stuff. Um, I don't There's some vague romantic stuff going there on there. But yeah, is there something more to Elway? Or is he going to be like the worst character from season eight? I wonder. I don't know. Uh, I'm wondering about him too. But your suspicion about Vogel having something to, something to do with Harry's death? I mean, it, I've considered it. The fact that, I don't know, uh, Harry called Matthews before De- uh, he killed himself. You know, that's, at least that's what Harry Matthews told us in season two. I mean, that'd leave me believe that Harry knew he was going to die. Like he, I guess maybe he knew Vogel was going to kill him. I don't know. He seemed pretty suicidal at the end of that tape he saw that Deborah saw in this episode, but hey, you never know. Don Matthews has a pretty unique theory on how he thinks the show will end. He writes that most people are predicting Dexter will die or be in prison, but his theory is actually a little more happy, or maybe you could say bittersweet for, for Dexter. You'll, you'll see what I mean. He writes, I think Dexter dies saving Deb from being caught or killed by Vogel or the brain surgeon. There's a funeral with another bench with Dexter's name on it, and everyone's there, including Deb and Harrison. The final scene, you will see a plane arriving in a South American country, later on to be revealed as Argentina. And then it cuts to the beach with the beautiful blonde laying on a lounge, watching the sunset, and then a man lays down next to her. You then see that the woman is Hannah, and she turns, and the person next to her is Dexter. They smile and hold hands, and then they watch the sunset as it fades to black. The end. He writes, he's not sure how Dexter will make everyone think he died, and maybe there isn't a body or Dexter did something with the DNA, but it doesn't matter as long as what he does is believable. Now, Don, this has got to be one of the coolest theories I've heard, I guess. I mean, I'm even subscribing to the theory that Dexter's going to die. I mean, I've just kind of accepted that, but I certainly don't want him to die, I suppose. I mean, I like him enough, or maybe I don't. I don't know. I've gone. I've said in the past I don't like him very much. But this theory is uh, really interesting. Would he abandon Harrison? I guess if maybe he thinks, if he wants to continue his killer ways and he thinks it'd be for the best that Harrison's alone, maybe... But him being in Argentina with, with Hannah, I mean, I, I guess crazier things have happened on this show, man. Thanks for writing in. And lastly, but of course, certainly not least, I have some feedback from Sandra Pacer. Pacer? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. She's one of my favorite people when she calls in on the podcast. I think she's she's really funny. She's the woman from Germany. You guys would recognize her voice, but today you're going to have to deal with my voice. Uh, she writes to me and she says that... Um, this episode was like a roller coaster of emotions going up and down. And just when you think Deb is back on the right track, she just loses it completely, trying to kill both of them. Uh, and why does the car have no airbags? I, I brought up a similar point. Back to her back to her message, though. Uh, Dexter should have killed Vogel after reading her notes about him, comparing him to Pinocchio. It's a great episode, and they're certainly speeding things up. 
she then uh, later wrote me and wrote, uh, it's great what they did with Dev. She even refused the beer and she was looking better and acted normal again. And I believe that they were really going to make her accept Dexter. So when she caused that accident, it took me completely by surprise. But it seems that the battle between her head and her heart is not decided yet because she did save him at the end. I wonder how Dexter would feel about this. Was the brain surgeon's actions foreshadowing Dexter's actions? Does he need to sacrifice Deb in order to save himself? With every episode, I am more in the dark about the end of the show. I really don't know in which way they are turning. Dexter seems more human than ever before. Is there a hope of saving him and turning around his lifestyle? Or does he end it just so he can save Deborah and Harrison from more harm? Or can he accept himself and maybe go on? Can he, can Deborah do that? I don't know. The way they play Quinn makes me think he might take Dexter down for Deborah's sake. The tension of not knowing, they totally got me this season. Thanks, Sandra. Um, I, I also agree... I'm, I could see maybe Quinn getting on Dexter's trail again. I don't know. I mean, they certainly better do it quick. We, we're running out of time. I don't know if I'd want Quinn to take Dexter down. He seems like such a... I mean, compared to the, the people Dexter's faced before, the foes he's had, the big bads, Quinn seems like such a lightweight. It would be like Davey, David versus Goliath if Quinn took him down. But it could happen. You also said something just interesting in passing. You asked if the brain surgeon's be- uh, behavior foreshadowed what Dex needed to do. You're implying that you think AJ is the brain surgeon. That's something I don't think I brought up. I'm not so sure AJ is the brain surgeon. The two reasons I would say that one is more cynical than the other. The first is that we see that AJ is certainly some sort of killer, and all of his victims were women, though. And we also found out later after the that woman had been admitted to the hospital that all her toes had been broken. He has some sort of weird foot fetish, I guess. He breaks toes or cuts them off or something. And we didn't really see the brain surgeon doing that. All the brain surgeon's victims have been male so far. Not sure if that... he Maybe he's... I don't know if the brain surgeon's adverse to killing females. But so far, he's only killed males. And then also, the more c- cynical reason why I don't know if AJ is the brain surgeon is we're only four episodes in. I mean, we got time. They're going to surprise us somehow. And like other people have mentioned, we they have that videotape and we didn't see it. Maybe it's someone we know. I'm not convinced it's someone that we know. I'm thinking it will be. It's just some crazy person. But hey, man, I've been wrong in the past. But thanks, everyone, for writing in. I super duper wish I could have done more feedback. It could have been more about you guys talking and, and less me doing stupid crap. But uh, I think we're going to throw it to the to the next time on Dexter's segment. Then I'll let you kids out early for recess. All right. Next time on Dexter. Fear not. This is, again, as usual, spoiler free. I'll just read the title of the next episode and I guess give some vague speculation based on that alone. I haven't seen the previews for the next episode. I suppose if you super duper want to be in the dark about everything even the name, I guess don't listen to this part. The podcast is wrapping up anyway. But the next episode will be called This Little Piggy and it's going to be written by Scott Reynolds or I suppose it already has been written by Scott Reynolds and it was directed by Romeo Tyrone who's been on the show both of them since the beginning of the series season one so this little piggy very interesting the first thing i think of is that game that people play with children 
right? You know, like this little piggy went to the market, this little piggy stayed home. You know what I'm talking about? They do it with the toes. And we know that this AJ Yates dude, the possible brain surgeon, he's got a affinity for toes. So, ooh, very scary. Somebody's little piggies in danger? Is are Harrison's little piggies in danger? He is a child after all. Is Harrison's piggies in danger? I hope not. I'd rather it be like Quinn's or Vogel's or something. But yeah, ooh, spooky, man. Can't wait. That's it. Another episode of Dissecting Dexter for your listening pleasure. Uh, as far as Dexter the series proper goes, we've only got a handful left. Very precious small amount, uh, but I'm sure you guys are all aware of that. You don't need me to remind you. Uh, something I do want to remind you of, though, is the contact information for the podcast. I can't believe I forgot to mention it during the feedback section. I'm very embarrassed I should have done that. And I just slipped my mind, I guess, due to the little amount of feedback I had. But uh, there's a lot of ways you can contact the podcast. In the U.S., you can phone into the podcast at 646-222-6122. In the U.K., you can dial in at 0844-579-6949. And in the U.K., you you have to enter mailbox ID 08320. Uh, You can also email... Uh, Gareth directly at dissectingdexter at gmail.com through the email you can also send in your own voicemails that you've recorded on your computer or phone or whatnot if for whatever reason you don't want to dial in that's usually what I do and Gareth can make a, make a lot of magic out of any kind of audio file you send him so don't be shy let's hear from you we want to hear more about you and less of, of this asshole talking okay uh, you can also contact Gareth on Twitter you can contact him at at Dissect Dexter. That's not Dissecting Dexter. Be careful. It's at Dissect Dexter. Or his own personal Twitter account is uh, Gareth underscore UK. At Gareth underscore UK. And of course, the podcast has a Facebook page as well. Uh, just search for Dissecting Dexter on Facebook and you'll find it. There's a lot of good people on there chatting it up. Hey, join the community. Come on, let's, let's you know, for this final season, let's get a lot of feedback coming. And let's let's uh, get some crazy theories out there. I want to hear from the craziest people there are. You can also write into Gareth uh, through snail mail. Uh, you can dial in or write in at 4222 Sesame Street, Transylvania, P.O. Box 92622. Just send in all of your letters and your packages to Gareth there. He'll get them. Don't worry. He checks that thing like every week, all right? So, again, thank you guys so much for listening in. I hope something that I did here gave you some enjoyment. You know, I kind of stumbled through this. I really, again, would have loved more feedback. If we get, if I ever do this again, I'm not sure if it will happen in the small amount of time we've got left. But if it ever happens again, I'd love to have more feedback. You know, we, don't, we need less of me, Malvin, off and more of you guys, you know, listening in and get, giving feedback. You know, it's what the podcast is for. Absolutely. So, you guys, Gareth, we'll be back next week. We're all anxiously looking forward to it. But until then, we'll just keep that Dexter train rolling down them tracks. Boop, boop.